Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look ahead to the weekend's CAF Champions League games with Al Atli facing Mamelodi Sundowns in the standout game. Also, we speak to Nigeria legend Joseph Yobo on the shock death of his former Super Eagles teammate Justice Christopher, who passed away suddenly at the age of 40 on Wednesday. You know, I'm just trying to put my head around it and uh, act like it's not true. That's coming up later, and also lots on the English Premier League as we ask whether Everton can avoid relegation and whether Harry Kane is a better forward than Thierry Henry was. But first, it's match day four in the CAF Champions League, and record ten-time winners Al-Athli of Egypt play Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa in Johannesburg in the big game of the weekend. This after Sundown stunned Al-Athli 1-0 in Cairo two weeks ago. This comes as Al-Athli coach Pizzo Mossimane has been given a two-year contract extension. Mossimane won the Champions League with Sundowns in 2016 and has then won the last two editions of the Champions League with Al-Athli. However, there were rumours for a while that Al-Athli would be parting ways with Mossimane and there were alarm bells after that home defeat a couple of weeks ago, but uh, he has kept his job, Ida. I would think that if there's one team that knows Pizzo Masimane, his tricks and, you know, any loopholes to beat him, it would be the team that he coached for, what, eight years? I mean, it was a great result for the Sundowns, but Al-Ali isn't out, not by a long shot. Plus, they've just come into this from that big 3-0 win over Pyramids, which was actually Pyramids' first loss of the season. So I would imagine they are coming into this on a high. And, you know, Steve, I think this man, Pizzo Musimane, has gotten Al-Ali so used to the highs that the occasional lows here and there now seem to come under such excessive scrutiny. It's football. You win some, lose some at the end of the day. Now, while I realize that the stakes are that much higher at giant clubs, you know, like Al-Ali, the man has won them two Champions League trophies since his appointment, the Egyptian Premier League, the Egypt Cup, back-to-back Club World Cup bronze medals, two CAF Super Cups, and they're currently top of the league, albeit, you know, it's still early days. And granted, they are looking for Pizzo to back up his continental glory with more domestic success, sure enough. And the league title would definitely be something this season. But there was absolutely no reason, at least to me, to not extend his contract. And as Al-Ali said in their statement, you know, that the extension is based on what Mosimene has, quote-unquote, achieved for the club. The numbers, Steve, and in this case, the trophies, <laughs> they don't lie. And interestingly enough, well, this new deal reportedly sees Mosimene become the highest paid coach in Africa, Steve, on a coal estimate of $165,000, now breaking even more ceilings. Well, that really is huge. And Amos Imani has insisted he should be considered among the top coaches in the world. 
Wonder if the South African might get to coach in the English Premier League one day. Uh, some feeling it could be possible. So Sundown's top of the group with seven points, then Al-Athli and Al-Hilal of Sudan on four points. In Group B, Raja Casablanca of Morocco, three points clear. They play the bottom club, Horoya of Guinea. Uh, group C, really tight, with Esperance of Tunisia leading on goal difference. And in Group D, Zamalek of Egypt, really struggling. They have a difficult-looking game at home to Widat Casablanca of Morocco, Ida. Zamalek have really been having it tough in the group. Now they've managed just two points from three games and are facing the reality of not moving past the group stage, Steve. Well, they've brought back veteran coach uh, Jesualdo Ferreira. He is the new head coach. He is a fan favorite. That was from when he guided the team to the league and the cup double. And that was in his only season in charge. That was back in 2015. However, Steve, the fans would certainly hope that things have changed and that old fires won't necessarily resurface because it's said that the main reason that Ferreira left after the success of just that one season is that apparently tensions were too high with uh, Zamalek chairman Murtada Mansour. So what's also interesting, Steve, is that while the Portuguese definitely enjoyed domestic success, he wasn't really able to replicate that on the continental front. Now, Zamalek then were in the CAF Confederation Cup and they fell out in the semifinal. The 76-year-old finds about five or six players, Steve, from his last tenure at Zamalek. And, you know, no doubt that he does come into a scene that's vastly changed in the last six, seven years since he's been gone. As for the game against Widad, well, that'll be his first real test and also his first game in charge of Zamalek in his second stint. Now, Zamalek lost 3-1 in the reverse fixture, so it is safe to say that there will be a lot on the line with this one. Yes, thanks, Ida. The Champions League games on Friday and Saturday this weekend. The next two very sad news here on Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport, as Justice Christopher, who starred for Nigeria against England at the 2002 World Cup, died suddenly at the age of 40 on Wednesday. Christopher collapsed at the hotel that he owned in Jos in central Nigeria. He had played a social game of football the day before. No official cause of death has been given as yet. Well, Justice Christopher captained Nigeria's under-20 team in 2001. He was a midfielder and earned 11 caps for the Super Eagles at senior level, playing at the 2002 Africa Cup of Nations and in all three group matches for Nigeria at the World Cup later that year. His Nigeria teammate and the country's first man to win 100 caps, Joseph Yobo, spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji about his close friend. You know, I'm just trying to put my head around it and uh, act like it's not true. But, you know, as the day is dwelling down, then, you know, it's looking like it's real that it happened. So it's, it's shocking. I'm, I'm devastated. I mean, you both had a similar part. You broke into the senior national team setup at about the same time in 2001. What exactly can you tell us about the man, um, Justice Christopher, that you knew as a, as a player and as a person? Joseph was a very nice person, but we just had, uh, we complimented each other. You know, Joseph was, um, 
very nice, God-fearing, that's what I knew then, because he was my roommate. He was a character different from mine, but very nice guy, very jovial, very fun to be around, and that's why we were roommates. You know, from when we started to when he exited the national team, we were very close friends and, and roommates. So it was great, great moments. He was somebody that, you know, good footballer, number one. Never really fulfilled his potential, in my opinion, because... Like you rightly said, we grew up together due to injuries and um, other factors and agents letting him down. So, yeah, that was it on the football. But as a human being, you know, he was a fantastic person. Yeah. You speak passionately and emotionally about your friend. I'm pretty sure you hold memories of you guys playing at the 2002 World Cup, including that nil-nil draw against England. Yeah, you know, there are great memories between us and we talk every now and then, we share ideas and, uh, you know, Justice is one of the people that knew me from beginning. Because we came to the national team, we went to Akon Mali 2002, even before the World Cup, he was my roommate. So there was Mali 2002 before the World Cup. But these are the memories of our great times which we shared together. We shared our problems together. We, you know, we're going for one another. Good times and in bad times, we prayed together. You know, we wanted to see each other succeed. We pushed each, each other because we understood that we were the rookies coming through. And sometimes we laugh, we say, okay, what these people have above us is experience, but we believe we can do it. So justice pushed me to become, you know, who I am from the beginning. And I also pushed him. And that's why you see the both of us played at the AFCON and also played at the World Cup in every game. So great memories, but shocking. I'm devastated that the first phone call that I got this morning was from his phone, you know. And then I haven't prayed, so I have to say my prayers. And the next thing that followed was a text message again from his phone that he's passed away oh. you know so it's shocking and I've been I've been trying to reach out the phone is switched off so I'll try and get to his family but you know what a shocking and devastating day for me it's a sad day to lose ah, probably my closest person in, in, in football so far as our national team is concerned because like I said this is a person that knew me from the beginning I played I came through with other players but Justice was the closest to lose someone at 40 um, I mean, we're all living basically on borrowed time, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, as I say, if people are not close to you, you don't actually feel when people pass away. But when people are close to you, even if you don't see them every day, you just remember who they are to you. So when they pass away, like what just happened, you realize, you know, that, you know, we don't own our life. Life is in God's hands. All we can do is try to do our best while we are alive and, and, and be good people. And that's all I can remember about justice. He used to make me laugh a lot. And people that knew, knew both of us, like we have a funny way of greeting each other because we are about the same age. We do things together. So we argue in a very funny way, in a joking way before we agree. You know, and that's our greeting. You know, constantly he will say whatever, I will also yap him and whatever before we even get to whatever we want to get to. So if you are not aware, if, if you don't know us, you think we are quarreling. <laughs> but that's a, that was our own way of greeting and I'm going to miss that a lot. And you know, this is another life lesson for, for everybody. Well, that's Nigeria legend Joseph Yobo talking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji about the shock death of Nigeria International Justice Christopher. As Ayobo said there, it's a life lesson for us on how fragile life can be. 
And on our website, we have a section called Finding Faith. This addresses some of these matters and highlights the faith of some global sports stars. That's on our website, planetsport.tv. And at the top on the left, you click on About Us, and then that takes you to the Finding Faith page on our website, planetsport.tv. And our condolences uh, to family and friends uh, of uh, Justice Christopher. And in other news, exciting news in women's football to hear that Nigeria international Asisat Oshwala has signed a new contract with La Liga and women's Champions League holders Barcelona. Asisat, who's 27, will now stay until the end of the 2023-2024 season. She scored 80 goals in 101 appearances for Barca since joining in January 2019, initially on loan. Uh, so great news there. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League, asking who's better, Harry Kane or Thierry Henry, now that Kane has passed Henry's goal-scoring total in the English Premier League. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. Let's go to social media now. Last week we asked, should Ronaldo be used as a substitute now? Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is Manchester United's top goalscorer this season with 15 goals in 30 games, but he has struggled of late with one goal in 890 minutes played. Uh, with a long way to go this season, Ronaldo has already played nearly as many minutes as he did in the whole of last season with Juventus. So we asked, do you think that United should use him as a substitute now at the age of 37? And, uh, well, most people did seem to think that, yes, uh, Ronaldo should be benched now. And we started in Cameroon with Henry Tatao Ekambi, who says, yes, he should be used sometimes as a sub, especially against weaker opposition. The likes of Cavani, Rashford and Elanga can cause more problems to the opposition defence than Ronaldo can, says Henry. Morgan Emma in the Gambia says, yes, Ronaldo should drop to the bench. They should play Rashford ahead of him. And a Simon Peter in Uganda says, yes, I'm not a United fan. I'm an Arsenal supporter, but the United coach shouldn't be using Ronaldo in the starting eleven. He's now an old man, says a Simon Peter. And Keba Jalong Sane in the Gambia got in touch and says, I've been a fan of United since my school days. That's when I started supporting them. But when it comes to Ronaldo, I think he should be used as a sub now. He has the experience, but his fighting power has now gone. I prefer to see him coming in in the second half now, says Keba. But to Moses in Malawi is more positive about Ronaldo's ability to deliver. Uh, Moses says, my feeling from what I watch isn't about the time that Ronaldo is on the ground, but about his relationship with fellow players. Let him be fed with balls. He's a striker. Give him time to play. He'll prove himself, even at 37, that he's still good, says Moses. And we heard from Rwanda, from Ernest, who says, uh, for me, I'm a Messi fan, uh, but for me, yes, so when it comes to Ronaldo, they should keep him on the bench, but he'll still be a great threat to the opposition, as his name is great in football, says Ernest. 
And we had some response from the UK on our Facebook page.、Uh, Jimmy Ward in Britain says, "Who's creating chances for him? It's just wingers trying to run through everyone instead of playing to your striker as a priority." And Tommy Martindale says it just goes to show that you're as good as the team around you. There was huge hype over Ronaldo's return. People saying that we will win the league now, says Tommy. And Billy Large says he played for teams that were so good in their leagues that they could carry him. United aren't good enough to carry him in the hope that he pops up and scores occasionally. And finally, Carl Simpson says the end is nigh.、Uh, for once, this isn't United's fault. He's 37, and with the best will in the world, he was going to hit an age that caused a decline eventually. Just the same as Messi says, Carl. We have two greats in their twilight years, who both given us two decades of legendary football, goals, skills, and memories.、Uh, but age is now having an effect, says Carl. Well, thanks for all of those comments. More on Manchester United shortly. And this week we're asking: Is it fair for Chelsea to be sanctioned? This, as the news broke on Thursday, that Roman Abramovich's attempt to sell Chelsea has been halted after he was sanctioned by the British government as part of its response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, now the freezing of Abramovich's assets, which include Chelsea, means the club cannot sell further match tickets. They can't buy or sell players or offer new contracts.、Uh, the UK government will allow fixtures to be fulfilled, staff to be paid, and existing ticket holders to attend matches. Uh, Chelsea players on loan at other clubs will be able to continue to play for those clubs, and the London side's merchandise shop has been shut.、Uh, now, Chelsea was founded way back in 1905. We're asking this week: Is it fair for the club to face sanctions that could potentially see Chelsea closing down? Love to hear your thoughts on this one. You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Is it fair for Chelsea to be sanctioned? Well, now let's go to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK, and、uh, what a game in the UEFA Champions League round of 16 on Wednesday night as Real Madrid came back to knock out Paris Saint-Germain with a Karim Benzema hat trick.、Uh, Benzema, whose father is Algerian, could have represented Algeria rather than France. Incredible comeback,、uh, Messi and Co. Out, Stuart. Well, yes. I mean, while Bayern Munich, Liverpool, and Manchester City eased into the last eight of the Champions League as expected, all the fireworks were in Madrid, where PSG, leading one nil from the first leg, scored to take a two nil lead.、Uh, the goal, incidentally, was made by Neymar and scored by Mbappe. But with half an hour left, PSG are cruising to victory, and then Benzema scored three goals in seventeen minutes. To win the tie for Real Madrid, and to leave Paris Saint-Germain wondering how they could have been in control of the tie for two and a half hours, only to throw it away in 17 minutes—an amazing game for the spectators. But PSG again failing in their their bid to win the Champions League. 
Yeah, and uh, with all of their funding uh, as well. Amazing game uh, to the English Premier League. Liverpool away on Saturday to Brighton and then next Wednesday playing away to Arsenal. So they have a chance to close the gap on Man City to three points. Uh, Man City playing away to Crystal Palace on Monday. Uh, City were easy winners of the Manchester derby last Sunday, beating uh, United 4-1. Um, not a surprise that City won, but uh, was it a significant loss for United, Stuart? Well, losing to Manchester City, as you say, is no disgrace. Uh, City, arguably the best club side in Europe. It was the manner of the defeat that raised alarm. Manchester United were competitive in the first half, just 2-1 down, after conceding two goals that, frankly, they might have prevented. But in the second half, they were completely overrun. During one 10-minute period... Manchester City had 97% of possession. And United were simply failing to do the basics. Tracking runners, marking, concentration, pressing, taking responsibility, teamwork, the mindset looked weak. It was hard to believe that this was the same club which under Sir Alex Ferguson had dominated English football for more than a decade. Now, there was an incident at the start of the second half when Bruno Fernandes of Manchester United was seen chatting to and smiling with Kevin De Bruyne of City. Could you imagine Roy Keane joking with a City player at the start of the second half of a derby game in which United were losing? Now, I talked a few weeks ago about how poor United's recruitment had been. I saw an article this week saying that of the last 40 players signed by Manchester United, only seven could be said to have been a success, 7 of 40. And after all the stability under Alex Ferguson during his 26 years in charge, the club has now had six different managers in eight years. The great teams of the 1990s and 2000s had the stamp of Ferguson on them, but none of the managers since then has been there long enough for that to be true. Many of the Manchester United players simply do not look good enough. Ranić doesn't seem to know what his best team is, making regular changes. In addition to that, there are players who have proved in the past that they are top-class players, like Harry Maguire, Pogba, Marcus Rashford, but none of them has shown anything like their best form this season. And it all starts again in the summer, when a new manager is appointed, be it Eric Ten Hag of Ajax, Maurizio Pochettino, PSG, or Carlo Ancelotti, Real Madrid, who are apparently the most likely uh, candidates. But as the season drifts on, with Manchester United unlikely to finish in the top four, already eliminated from the two domestic cups, and not looking good enough to make any real impact in the Champions League. And this was the fourth time this season where United conceded four or more goals in a Premier League, losing 4-2 to Leicester City, 4-1 to Watford, 5-0 to Liverpool and now 4-1 to City. It's a really frustrating time for the supporters with the club seemingly having lost its way. Goodness, yes, it's uh, not the United that we knew under Sir Alex Ferguson and uh, I could imagine that uh, Pochettino might be looking for a job uh, after PSG's uh, Champions League elimination. Uh, now, Tottenham had a 5-0 win over Everton on Monday and uh, Harry Kane's two goals moved him above the Arsenal great Thierry Henry 
in the all-time Premier League scoring list. Kane has 176 goals, the sixth highest ever. Alan Shearer top on 260. This ignited a debate around Africa, around the world, as to who's the better striker between Kane and Thierry Henry. What's your view, Stuart? Oh, that's a great question, Steve. Thierry Henry scored his goals in less games than Harry Kane. Henry scored a goal every 122 minutes he was on the pitch. Kane won every 128 minutes. So not a lot in it. And of the five who've scored more goals than Kane, only Sergio Aguero had a better rate of goals per minute. There was an interesting moment actually in that 5-0 game where Harry Kane scored two goals against Everton. But had he managed a third, not only would Tottenham have won 6-0 against Frank Lampard's Everton, but Kane would have drawn level with Lampard on 177 goals. But if you'd asked me a year or two back about this question, I would have said Henri was a more complete striker who created goals and worked more for the team, while Kane was more of an out-and-out striker. But Kane has developed this aspect of his game, and for example, in 2020-21 season, the Korean Son scored 17 goals for Tottenham, with Kane providing the assist for nine of those. Comparing internationals, Kane, 48 goals for England, Henri, 51 for France. So again, very little to choose between them. Uh, could we just call it a draw, Steve? <laughs> I guess we might have to for now. Uh, and that uh, heavy defeat for Everton leaves them just one place and one point above the relegation zone. Um, could the famous club be relegated, Stuart? Well, we have this saying uh, in England that a team is too good to be relegated. But, you know, Everton's 5-0 defeat at Tottenham makes them look real candidates for relegation, sitting, as you say, four places from the bottom. And the Tottenham team that they lost 5-0 to, don't forget, was the one that lost in the FA Cup to Championship team Middlesbrough last week and to relegation candidates Burnley the previous week. Frank Lampard was an outstandingly good player, but as a manager he has limited experience and people are questioning whether he's the right man for a dogfight. There was considerable criticism of Lampard's tactics at Tottenham, where he went into the game to attack Spurs, who hit Everton repeatedly on the counter-attack. A headline in my newspaper this week concerning Lampard and Everton said, Wrong man, wrong time, wrong club. There's much to admire about Lampard, and he may well develop into a top manager in the Premier League, but whether he is equipped to guide Everton through their last 13 games in which, to put it bluntly, they have to secure more points than Burnley and Watford remains to be seen. To be fair to Lampard, he was appointed by Everton right at the end of the transfer window, meaning he had little opportunity to source new players, effectively only signing Delhi Ali from Tottenham and Donny van der Beek from Manchester United. I read a quote recently that if you'd asked 100,000 football fans which two players a club threatened by relegation should sign, that no one would have said Deli Alli, a brilliant player at Tottenham, but who's lost his way under Jose Mourinho, or Donny van der Beek, an outstanding player for Ajax, but a complete misfit at Manchester United. Both are flair players. Everton need fighters. Yeah, indeed. And remember all the uh, excitement when uh, Lampard did uh, join Everton. And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? When Chelsea signed Romelu Lukaku in the summer, there was no longer a place in the squad for Tammy Abrahams, who was sold to Roma. 
But since then, Abrahams has scored 20 goals in all competitions for Roma this season, about twice as many as Lukaku. Now, Norwich City have scored 16 goals in the Premier League this season. The goals have been scored by players from Ireland, Scotland, Finland, Norway, USA and Kosovo, as well as two own goals, but not one goal by an English player. Steve, I know you're going to love this. Ivan Toney scored a hat-trick for Brentford, and there are three odd facts about this. The last five hat-tricks in the Premier League have been scored by the visiting club, away from home. Tony also became the first player in over 30 years to score a hat-trick in the third tier, the second tier and the top tier of English football in consecutive seasons. And Tony's latest hat-trick was on the 5th of March and apparently no date in the year in Premier League history has seen more hat-tricks. Tony's was the sixth hat-trick on the 5th of March. Now, Arsenal moved into fourth place at the weekend with their win over Watford. And it's the young gunners who are driving the success. But Osaka has scored eight goals and had five assists, more than any other player under 21 in the Premier League this season. Gabriel Martinelli, aged 20, has scored five league goals this season, while Emil Smith-Rowe has scored nine. Martin Odegaard has also scored five goals, but at 23, he's almost a veteran in the Gunners team. And dare I say it, Aubameyang leaving Arsenal seems to have helped the team. Virgil van Dijk has played 60 Premier League games for Liverpool at Anfield, recording 52 wins and 8 draws. He's yet to lose at Anfield in the league. And finally, Steve, um, Oriel... Romu, Southampton's Spanish player, was shown a yellow card last weekend. It was the 61st yellow card of his career, but he's never had a red one. Yeah, so Southampton's Romeo obviously aware that he should be very careful after picking up a yellow card. Well, thanks a lot, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.